book of Leviticus. Last week we began our study here in the book of Leviticus, and we learned that while many Christians kind of avoid reading this book, it is the first book that is to be studied by Jewish children. The book of Leviticus is, as I mentioned last week, a worshiper's handbook that gave instruction to both the priest and the worshipers, how they should worship the Lord God, also the things that they should not do, how the Lord wanted to be worshipped. And of all the various laws and instructions, we have six offerings that are expounded upon in the book of Leviticus, five of these here at the beginning of the book, and the five that are at the beginning of the book, the burnt offering, the grain offering, the peace offering, the sin offering, and the trespass offering. And I believe chapter 23 deals with the drink offering. And although not mentioned, the drink offering is part of the burnt offering. It's part of the grain offering. So although not mentioned, we'll learn later on that they are, it is a part of these offerings. So the first four offerings that are called sweet aroma offerings, the burn offering, the grain offering, the drink offering, the peace offering. It smoke, spoke of the worshiper's communal relationship with God. They offered these offerings that they could have fellowship with the Lord, and we are going to look at one of these tonight, the peace offering. That is a sweet aroma offering. And then there are two other offerings. We'll look at one of these tonight, another next week. Well, not next week. Prophecy update next week. And there's a lot going on in our world and in our country. So I, I was hearing some things today, and it's just like, yeah, I need to talk about that. So we want to talk about some of these things next week, have communion. So Lord willing, in a couple of weeks, we'll be back in the book of Leviticus, and we'll pick up with the trespass offering, but the sin offering and trespass offerings, they were non-sweet aroma offerings because they dealt with the worshiper's sin and dealing with our sins before a holy and righteous God. God did not see the sin, our sins, as a sweet aroma to the Lord. So non-sweet aroma offering. One of the first things we noticed in chapter 1, though, that when offering these sacrifices, oftentimes it would always cost the worshiper. It should cost the worshiper, but also they were very messy, as we'll even read tonight, of the individual offering the offerings required to kill the offering themselves and so we think of, I used to think of as a kid growing up in church, not really understanding these things, uh, learning about them, though, but not understanding them that well. I assume that the priest did all the heavy work. And as we read through Leviticus, we learn that the people had uh, the worshipers had quite a bit that they had to do as well. So we've already looked at the burnt offering, which was an offering that was wholly consumed on the bronze altar and spoke of a worshiper's total consecration or dedication to the Lord. In chapter 2, we looked at the grain offerings that were to be a fine flour with oil and frankincense seasoned with salt and without leaven or honey. 
and the leaven or honey could be considered as corrupting to the offering. So they were to be without leaven or honey. And these became, all of these were sweet aromas to the Lord when they're burned on the bronze altar. Tonight we're going to look at the peace offering and the sin offerings. And the peace offering is another sweet aroma offering to the Lord. It spoke of the peace that the worshiper had with God, but not because they offered this offering. This was a fellowship offering. They had peace with God because of uh, the offerings that preceded it. Maybe it was a burnt offering where we learned in the burnt offering of Leviticus 1.4 that he shall put his hand on the head of the burnt offering and it will be accepted on his behalf to make atonement for him. So there was in the burnt offering this total consecration or dedication to the Lord. There was a sense of that atonement coming one with God again. Maybe it was a sin offering or a trespass offering where they were made atone. Their sins were atoned for by the blood of the offering and after that, they were able to offer a peace offering. The peace offering, as we will learn, was an offering of fellowship with God. And the second offering we'll look at tonight in chapter 4 is the worshiper's sin offering. This, again, a non-sweet aroma offering. So tonight, we look at the peace and the sin offerings, Leviticus chapters 3 and 4. The peace offering, Leviticus chapter 3. The sin offering, Leviticus 4. And then I just want to briefly have a third point, looking at Jesus connecting with the peace and sin offerings and kind of just learn a little bit about the work of Jesus. That's why I think the book of Leviticus is so important for believers to gain a greater understanding of because these offerings were given to Israel that they might learn how they would worship God, yes, but they also looked forward to the fulfillment that was found in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, yes, two days ago, Monday, and I'm only saying this because of a phone call I received last night from one of my friends, a pastor up north in Wisconsin. Two, day, two days ago on Monday, I posted on Facebook and Instagram that it was my 23rd anniversary here at the church. And uh, I don't remember it that well. I have to go back to July of 1999. I looked on a calendar, second Sunday. Okay, it was on the 11th. I know it's in July. I just always forget the exact date. So 1999 until uh, Monday, uh, 23 years serving here at the church. And I just posted that on the website. And, and so a friend called me last night and we were talking. He called to just saw the post. And rather than tagging the post, he gave me a phone call. And that was very nice. And I haven't talked to him in a long time. And he told me, you will not believe this. I was talking about teaching through the book of Leviticus. That's what pastors do, by the way, when they hadn't talked in a while or they meet at a pastor's conference. It'll always come around with, so what are you teaching on? And so it always comes around to that. And uh, he said, you will not believe this, but my two favorite books of the Bible, the book of Leviticus and Deuteronomy. 
<laughs> and uh, I believe I believe the book of Leviticus, Deuteronomy, interestingly enough, is called the second law because it's kind of rehashing everything that we learn in Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, and Moses repeating those things to the second generation that came out of Egypt before they go into the promised land. So Deuteronomy, not Deuteronomy, Leviticus, the peace offering, chapter 3. I had two key verses, verse 1 and 11, kind of tie them together as one. And it reads this way if I put them together. When his offering is a sacrifice of peace, of a peace offering, he shall offer it of the herd, whether male or female, he shall offer it without blemish before the Lord, and the priest shall burn them on the altar as food, an offering made by fire to the Lord. And so, on the altar as food, a fellowship offering to the Lord. This offering was not to gain peace with God, but it was it came as a result of the peace that they already found with God by a previously offered offering, whether a burnt sin or trespass offering. And there were three types of peace offerings, and we'll see this in Leviticus chapter 7, 11 through 16, a thanksgiving, a vow, and a free will offering. And what made these offerings unique, or this offering specifically, is that the worshiper was allowed to eat a portion of the sacrifice, thus enjoying fellowship, communion with God. And so, verses 1 through 5, a peace offering of the herd. In verse 1, when his offering is a sacrifice of a peace offering, if he offers it of the herd, whether male or female, he shall offer it without blemish before the Lord. If of the herd, whether male or female, it was always to be without blemish. Like the burnt offering, the worshiper had to offer it at the door of the tabernacle. He had to lay his hand upon the animal. It was kind of a transfer of one's sin or guilt to that animal. That animal's life uh, considered a life of innocence. That animal was going to die for the worshiper. And so a a transfer of one's life standing in another place. And yet, unlike the burnt offering, this was not for a transferal of the worshiper's sin. He already had made atonement with the Lord uh, through the previously given offerings. But to identify the worshiper with the sacrifice of peace. So he identifies with this offering. As with the burnt offering, the worshiper killed his offering. As I said, Pretty messy. I mentioned this last week that I used to work in a grocery store when I was a teenager. I could not stand the smell of the meat market and actually developed this. It's just a trigger in my mind. And we were at the grocery store this week and we went by the meat market and that trigger uh, flared up again because I could smell the blood and I used to have to help the butchers clean the blood um, off the floors and the sawdust, sweep all that stuff up back in the day, how they did it then. Uh, that is something that 
again, you know, in my mind, it was at the temple. It was very clean. You take your offering. In my mind, as a child, I would say, maybe a teenager, you give it to the priest. He does all the work. But there's a lot of bloodshed. And if you're doing a lot of offerings, uh, it was pretty messy. But the worshiper is the one who's doing the killing. And the priest is catching the blood as the animal's being killed. And the priest would sprinkle the blood all around the bronze altar. And unlike the burnt offering, which was wholly consumed upon the altar, only the fat that covers the entrails, verses 3 and 4, of all the fat that was on the entrails, the two kidneys, the fat that is on them by the flanks and the fatty lobe attached to the liver above the kidneys were burned by Aaron's son upon the bronze altar as an offering, verse 5, as an offering made by fire, as food, a sweet-smelling aroma to the Lord. Barbecue it usually always does smell pretty good. So again, he goes into detail. I had said there's three different types of peace offerings, thanksgiving, aval, a free will offering, but there were uh, the offerings could come if of the herd, male or female, or of the flock. And so the remainder of the chapter deals with of the flock concerning a lamb in verses 6 through 11 or concerning a goat in verses 12 through 16. And that pretty much, I think, it, oh, verse 17. So it almost covers the whole chapter. So if of the flock, a lamb, verses 6 through 11, verse 6, if his offering as a sacrifice of a peace offering to the Lord is of the flock, whether male or female, he shall offer it without blemish. And the second type of peace offering here that someone could offer to the Lord were those that came from the flock, whether of a lamb, we're looking at that in verses 6 through 11, or of a goat, we'll see that in verses 12 through 16. In a similar way, their fat was offered upon the altar as a peace offering to the Lord. However, if the offering was a lamb, they were also to offer the whole fat tail, 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 not a tail, the whole fat tail. In verse 9, and he shall offer from the sacrifice of peace uh, an offering made by fire to the Lord. It's fat, the whole fat tail, which has been removed close to the backbone and the fat that covers the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails. So very similar to the cattle or the oxen and the offering from the herd. Here, there's a unique thing about the fat-tailed sheep. I did not know that there was fat-tailed sheep. I did because I have it in my notes in my Bible from the last time we went through this study but I had forgotten about this. So I was rereading it in my Bible, rereading it in other notes that I had. And so I looked it up today. And about 25% of the world's population are what are deemed fat-tailed sheep. And they're common in the northern parts of Africa, the Middle East. Where's Israel? Middle East. Pakistan, Afghanistan, Iran, North India, West China, and other regions in that area. The earliest recorded fat-tailed sheep is found in ancient Iraq, 3000 B.C., or Ur, 2400 B.C., on stone vessels or mosaic 
And then this is actually from nativebreed.org. And so this is not a religious site. And then they go on to say another early reference is found in the Bible in Exodus 29:22 and Leviticus 3:9, where the sacrificial offering is described, which includes the the tail fat in the Hebrew, the alia of the sheep, and so it includes this tail fat. Now this is from a Bible commentary. What I'm reading now, the other one just was from a website, thenativebreed.org. But this is from a Bible commentary. The sheep of Syria and Palestine were, and still are, the breed-tailed species, sorry, breed-tailed species, the broad part often weighing 15 pounds, so that fat tail up to 15, 10 to 15 pounds. The young animal, the substance of the tail, which consists of marrow and fat, and tastes like marrow, was used by the Arabs for cooking instead of butter. And it is the only, the tail of the sheep, which were included among the fat parts on the altars. And so just a unique type of animal mentioned here in the Bible that uh, 25% of the sheep in the world are this type of animal. So they were to offer, verses 9 through 11, the fat that covers the entrails and the fat that is on the entrails, the two kidneys, the fat that is on them by the flank, the fat lobe, which is attached by the liver. He shall remove them, and the priest shall burn them on the altar as food, an offering made by fire to the Lord. And he's not mentioning it. He's just going through the process. But remember, the worshiper got a portion of this, and the priest got a portion of the offering for his payment for doing the offering. The worshiper got a portion He was able to commune right there at the tabernacle, have fellowship with the Lord. So 12 through 16, if the offering is of the flock, but a goat. So the third type of peace offering offered, that would be of a goat. And the same general rules apply to the peace offering, whether of a herd or of a lamb, also apply to the goat. All these offerings, were, whether male or female, were to be without blemished. So I didn't have a lot to say about the goat. I mean, you can read it, verses 12 through 16. Pretty much says the same thing that he said about the lamb, except for the fat tail. And the fact that this is a goat instead of a lamb, kind of identical. And so I'm looking at this, and I was like, well, that's very not much to talk about there. And then... Without blemish, without blemish, without blemish. I often say from the pulpit that the Lord Jesus Christ was offered as a a lamb without spot or blemish. And so in my Bible computer, in the concordance, my Bible program, I typed in without spot or blemish, nothing came up. It's like, okay, that doesn't work. Without blemish, I got a few things. Without spot, it talks about spots with leprosy and some of the laws that we'll read about in Leviticus, but I discovered that nowhere in the Old Testament does it use the phrase without blemish or without spot as it does in the New Testament. 
I found that kind of interesting. In 1 Peter 1.9, Peter refers to Jesus' offering on the cross as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. And then in 2 Peter 3.14, Peter tells all believers to be diligent to be found in him in peace, to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. So very similar, without spot or blemish, without spot and blameless. So I found it interesting. In the Old Testament, all these offerings that stated that they were to be without blemish and being without spot and without blemish was only used by Peter in the New Testament. Paul also in a similar way in Ephesians 5.27, he said Jesus would present, referring to the church, would present her to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle, or any such thing, that she should be holy and without blemish. And we'll look about Jesus at the end, our third point, and kind of identify his part of the peace offering, his fulfillment of that peace offering in our third point. We'll look at how Jesus accomplished this. But I found it interesting that being without spot was never specifically related to these offerings. And perhaps... This is because unlike humans, animals have no inherent sin nature. We do. God spoke to Adam and said, Of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. The day you eat of it, you shall surely die. And we have an inherent sin nature, that spot that we have, uh, we have been birthed with. It's part of our birthright as humans on this earth. Because of the fall, Adam and Eve's sin, and the curse that followed because of that, that has been passed on to us. That is our spot. That was not passed on to Christ. But the blemishes we could consider could be those things that we do. Yes, we have a sin nature, but we also sin. And so the blemishes would speak of that sin in our life. So he says in verse 17, this, is a, this shall be a perpetual statute throughout your generations in all your dwellings, and you shall eat neither fat nor blood. So the last verse uses the distinction of the blood and the fat to teach a perpetual statute to the children of Israel that neither the blood or the fat was to be consumed by the children of Israel because they belonged to the Lord. They were forbidden. They were set apart unto the Lord for these offerings. And consequently, these dietary rules do not apply to anyone other than Israel. Not that I, I cook my meat fairly well. Not like my mom did, who cooked it way too much, but um, fairly well. But unlike a few of my friends that I've went out for dinner and uh, one would say when ordering a steak, just take the chill off it. That's a little too much for me. Or, you know, I had one friend that I, I just felt bad for the restaurant owners because they never satisfied his raw steak that he wanted. I mean, they might as well just brought it out raw or brought him back to the kitchen and say, you put it on the grill then, because he would always send them back. 
So this perpetual statute connected to the fat and blood, it will be expounded upon in chapter 7. So let's close out talking in just a moment about the peace offering. It was a voluntary offering where the worshiper enjoyed communion with God. And today this peace is found in the work of Jesus upon the cross. In Ephesians 2, verses 14 through 17, For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is the law of the commandments contained in the ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, that he might reconcile them both to God. In one body through the cross, thereby thereby putting to death the enmity. Today, we have peace with God through the work of Jesus Christ upon the cross. And thus, because of that peace, we can have fellowship with God. He is our peace. I like that. So the sin offering, Leviticus chapter 4, 35 verses, the sin offering... This is always talking about unintentional sin. In verse 27 and also verse 31, I put two verses together as key verses for this chapter. If any one of the common people sins unintentionally by doing something against any of the commandments of the Lord in any such thing which ought not to be done and is guilty... So the priest shall make atonement for him, and it shall be forgiven him. So just kind of a little preview of the sin offering. But chapter 4 deals with how a worshiper could have his sin or sins atoned for if he sinned unintentionally or without the knowledge of God's law. In verses 1 and 2, the word tells us, Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, If a person sins unintentionally against any of the commandments of the Lord in anything which ought not be done, and does any of them. So there are four different groups that he lays out here in this chapter in presenting the sin offering. In verses 3 through 12, the anointed priest Verses 13 through 22 dealt with the whole congregation, all the people. Verses 22 through 26 dealt with a ruler. And verses 27 through 35 dealt with the common people. So we'll go through each of these groups, beginning with the priest, the sin offering of the anointed priest. And by the way, Every priest that served at the tabernacle, they were anointed to serve there. So any priest, if they're serving at the tabernacle, they are anointed to serve unless they weren't technically a priest. But that's a whole other issue. So verse 3, if an anointed priest sends, bringing guilt upon the people, and, and just think about that, the priest sends and the guilt is upon the people. The pastor sins, and the guilt can be upon the congregation. And we see this in a number of churches today. And if a pastor 
strays away from the truth of the word of God, teaches things in the word of God that the word does not say, such as a pastor a couple of weeks ago saying, nowhere in the Bible does it speak against the issue of abortion. This is a cultural thing. That's what he's teaching his fellowship. Well, maybe the word abortion is not used in the Bible, but it certainly teaches about the value of life. So if the priest sins, brings guilt upon the people, and we could relate it today if a pastor sins, bringing guilt upon the people, then let him, the priest, offer to the Lord for his sin, which he has sinned, a young bull without blemish and as a sin offering. And so they have different offerings that were required to be offered for the priest because he had a higher position before the people. He had to bring a young bull before the Lord. And this bull again, to be without blemish. After presenting the bull before God and by bringing it to the tabernacle of meeting, he would lay his hand upon it to have that transfer of sin to the innocent, to identify uh, the transfer of his sin upon this animal. Then he would kill the animal. Verse 6, dip his finger into the blood and sprinkle some of the blood seven times before the Lord in front of the veil of the sanctuary. So this is unique to the priest as he would go into the Holy of Holies sprinkling this blood in front of the veil there. And in other offerings, we find the blood being sprinkled around the altar, the bronze altar, but here unique to the priests. Why? Because it was the priest who ministered in the tabernacle. Some of the remainder of the blood was put upon the horns of the altar of incense in the holy place. And so the altar of incense, that golden altar that stood before the curtain that was uh, sealed off the holy of holies, And while the rest was poured out at the base of the bronze altar that was in the courtyard of the tabernacle, then the priest, verses 8 through 10, would offer the fat that covers the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails, the two kidneys, the fat that is by on them by the flanks, the fatty lobe attached to the liver above the kidneys. He shall remove as it was taken from the bull of the sacrifice of the peace offering. And the priest shall burn them on the altar and burn offering to the Lord. As for the remainder of the animal, this is different as well. As for the remainder of the animal, its hide and all of its flesh with its head, its legs, its entrails, its offal were to be offered outside the camp in a clean place and burned where the ashes are poured out. And so it was wholly consumed. They did not fellowship. They did not take any payment uh, from this. The animal was either parts burned on the burnt offering, parts burned outside the camp, but it was a sin offering, so it was wholly consumed. So a sin offering for the congregation, the whole congregation, verses 13 through 22. We read in verses 13 through 15, now if the whole congregation of Israel sins unintentionally, and the thing that is hidden from their eyes of the assembly, and they have done something against any of the commandments of the Lord in anything which should not be done, and are guilty, when the sin which they have committed becomes known, then the assembly shall offer a young bull 
for sin and bring it before the tabernacle of meeting and the elders of the congregation shall lay their hands on the head of the bull. So not the whole congregation, but their leaders shall lay their hands on the head of the bull before the Lord and the bull shall be killed before the Lord. So the whole congregation had unintentionally sinned. As I was reading that, and I didn't even think of it while I was doing the message, planning for the message today, it made me think of Josiah, uh, one of the great kings in Israel, who when they were remodeling the temple, they discovered the book of the law hidden in the temple. And as the king had the book of the law read to him, he realized that their nation had sinned. He tore his clothes He went to the priest and said, what will happen to us? Because we have obviously sinned against the Lord. They had no knowledge of the sin until the law was read. So because of at that time in Judah, because of the kings that were before Josiah had strayed away from the Lord. The law of the Lord had been hidden from the people. They weren't reading the word. Uh, It had actually been maybe hidden by a priest to protect it from being destroyed. But once Josiah heard the word of the Lord, he knew that their nation had sinned. And he inquired, had the Lord inquire of the Lord through the priest, through the prophets, inquired of the Lord what would be the outcome of their sins. And so if the whole congregation unintentionally, they come to this recognition that they had sinned. So the same process, they lay their hands, the leaders on the bull. Once the bull was killed, the anointed priest brought some of the blood, sprinkled it before the Lord, followed much of the same process as found with the priests in verses uh, 2 through 12. In verses 20 and 21, he shall do with the bull as he did with the bull as a sin offering, thus he shall do with it. So the priest shall make atonement for them and it shall be forgiven them. Then they shall carry the bull outside the camp and burn it as it is burned. As he burned the first first bull, it is a sin offering for the assembly. So just like with the priest, parts of it would be burned on the bronze altar. Some of the blood would be sprinkled uh, before the Lord. No doubt some of that blood Uh, poured out at the base of the altar. That was pretty customary. And then the rest of it was burned outside of camp in a clean place where the ashes were stored. So carrying the bull outside of camp, burning it there, signified that Israel's sins then had been removed from the camp. It was outside of the camp. So that's significant. And we'll see that with Jesus in a moment. Verses 23 through 26, a sin offering of a ruler. Uh, 22 through, okay, I had it in my notes wrong here. 22 through 26. 22 through 24, it says, If a ruler has sinned and done something unintentionally against any of the commandments of the Lord, his God in any way which should not be done and is guilty, and if his sin which he has committed comes to his knowledge... He shall bring as an offering a kid of the goats, a male without blemish. And he shall lay his hand on the head of the goat and kill it at the place where they kill the burnt offering before the Lord. It is a sin offering. So this time, not a young bull, but a goat for the ruler had to be a male without blemish once again. 
So the ruler's unintentional sin, once it's realized, he's required to make this offering of a male goat. In a similar way, the animal was this one to be a male without blemish, and the procedure was the same. He'd bring it before the Lord, lay his hand upon the head, that transfer of sin. He would kill the animal. And remember, we learned with the burnt offering, it was the worshiper who did the skinning and the cutting up of the animal. The priest would take the blood and it was not brought into the holy place of the tabernacle, but only to the altar of burnt offering. So unlike the priest and the whole congregation where the blood was sprinkled before the Lord, this one was only at the bronze altar, but it still made atonement for his sin. So verses 25 and 26, it says, The priest shall take some of the blood of the sin offering on his fingers, put on the horns of the altar of the burnt offering, pour its blood at the base of the altar of the burnt offering, and he shall burn all of its fat on the altar like the fat of the sacrifice of the peace offering. So the, peat, so the priest shall make atonement for him concerning his sin, and it shall be forgiven. So finally, the fourth type of person, we've looked at the priest, the anointed priest. All priests were anointed. The whole congregation, the ruler, and now the common person, verses 27 through 35. But beginning in verses 27 through 29, if anyone of the common people sins unintentionally by doing something against any of the commandments, of the Lord in anything which ought not to be done and is guilty, or if his sin which he has committed comes to his knowledge, then he shall bring his offering, an offering of a kid of the goats, a female without blemish. And so the ruler had a male, and the common person can bring a female. But again, without blemish for his sin which he has committed. And he lays his hand on the head of the offering and killed the sin offering at the place of the burnt offering. So the procedure, the same, just a different animal, different sex of animal. But the procedure is the same. The common person who unintentionally sinned against God, once their sin was known or realized, they were required to bring a kid, goat, or actually a lamb, a female without blemish, and presented before the Lord, whether a ruler or a common person, the same procedure was used when offering these sin offerings, with no mention of the remainder of the sacrifice being burned in a clean place outside of camp. Uh, it is assumed it was a sin offering. The same process no doubt took place, just as it did for the anointed priest, the whole congregation, and or the ruler. But in all these offerings, they offered the offering, the blood was sprinkled, and their sins were forgiven. In verses 30 and 31, we read, And then the priest shall take some of its blood on his finger of the horn of the altar, pour the remainder at the base, he shall remove its fat, goes through that whole process, so the priest shall make atonement for him, and it shall be forgiven him. And so I said a goat, a kid, or a lamb. So that lamb is talked about in verses 32 through 35. 
And the same process is followed. So again, the common person could bring a kid of the goats, a female, whether a goat or a lamb. Lamb technically means um, one year old or under. So a lamb, at least a year old. But once it becomes over a year old, it's a sheep. So a lamb, a young lamb. So we have all committed unintentional sins. And today our sins are covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. And the word of God tells us in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The sin offering was available, this unintentional sin that people, even though they had sinned, well, I didn't know. But now you know, and now you have to deal with your sin. That's how it is with people today. They may be living a life, not thinking about God, not thinking about Jesus, and then suddenly something happens, somebody witnesses to them, and they use the five-finger process of witness we're going to use for family camp, share how to witness with someone by using your five digits to talk about God's grace, God, No, grace, man, God, Christ, and faith. So we're going to talk about that at family camp very soon. However, they come to the knowledge of their sin. Once they realize that they are sin, they have sin, then that needs to be dealt with. And today we deal with that, not through offering animals on a sacrificial altar, but through the blood of Jesus Christ. If anyone confesses their sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So Jesus and the peace and sin offerings. First, let's look at the peace offering. I almost wanted to do this in reverse, but that's not how the chapters were presented to us. So I stayed in the order of the chapters. Chapter 3, dealing with the peace offering. But we realize to have that peace offering, and I mentioned that in chapter 3, another offering had to precede the peace offering. It had already been dealt with either through the burnt offering, the sin offering, or the trespass offering, which we'll look at next week. So Jesus and the peace offering. We find that the peace offerings were also offered with a grain offering and a drink offering. And, you know, the... The offering itself, the grain, the bread, the drink, the wine, doesn't it remind us of communion and the work of Jesus Christ on the cross? The sacrifice on the altar reminds us of the death of Jesus on the cross. The drain, grain and drink offering reminds us of his body that was broken, his blood that was poured out, that we might have fellowship with God. First Peter 1.19 says that we have redemption by the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. So although spot is not mentioned in the Old Testament, I found that interesting. I even went in my concordance and put spots in just to make sure I didn't miss it. Spelt with an S, but it didn't show up. But without spot or blemish, we understand that the spot, that inherent sin nature, Jesus didn't have that. It's why he was born of a virgin. 
and without blemish. He had no sin within himself. He did not sin while he was on this earth. So Peter reminds us that our redemption is not of corruptible things, not like silver or gold, not by the traditions of our forefathers. We can't purchase our redemption. We can't do works to gain our redemption. Our redemption has come at the highest price. In the precious blood of Jesus Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. To be without blemish teaches us that Jesus never committed a sin against his father, God. To be without spotted reminds us that Jesus did not have that inherent sin nature that resulted from the fall, something that we all are guilty of, both having a spot and blemish. Because Jesus was and is without blemish or spot, John the Baptist then was able to proclaim him in John 1.29, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And it is only through the work of Jesus Christ that we can have peace with God, our salvation. Ephesians 2.14, For he himself is our peace. He himself is our peace. And Jesus and the sin offering, the detailed procedures that were used with the sin sacrifices to God, it reminds us that our sins cost. Whether intentional or unintentional, uh, they had to bring certain animals, whether a, a young bull, a goat, a lamb, male or female. All these animals were, you know, they won the blue ribbon at the county fair. They were without blemish. They were the best of the breed. It came at a cost to the worshiper. But for us today, Jesus paid the cost that we could not pay ourselves by offering himself as a sacrifice for our sin. Like with the sin offerings that were burned outside the camp, Jesus was sacrificed outside the walls of Jerusalem. In John 19:17 through 20, it tells us that he, bearing his cross, went out to the place, the place of the skull, which is called in Hebrew Golgotha. There they crucified him with two others, one on either side and Jesus in the center. Now Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross saying, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. And many of the Jews read this title for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city and was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. So near the city, but not in the city, outside the walls of the city. The place of the skull was located outside of Jerusalem, but close enough to allow the people to look upon the Lord, to gape upon Jesus as he died upon the cross. We know it by its Greek name, Calvary, today. But also we learn that Hebrews 13, 11, and 12 also relate about Jesus dying outside the gate. Hebrews 13, 11, and 12 says, For the bodies of these animals, those whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin, are burned outside the camp, Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood offered outside the gates. So these offerings 
relating to the work of Jesus Christ. He is our peace. He is that offering of sin. He died outside the walls of Jerusalem, outside the gate. I believe that Jesus was offered in the same place where God brought Abraham when he said, take your son, the son that you love, your only son, and go to the place, three days journey to the mount that I will show you. He ended up at Mount Moriah. Guess where the temple is built there in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah? I believe it's the very same place. In fact, if you go to Jerusalem today, there's an area that they take you to that's called the Place of the Skull. And it's outside the old city wall. You can see that today. There's a bus stop right there today. You can see the skull. And they have the garden tomb next to it. On top of that is a graveyard. But on top of that, the place of the skull, is also the highest point of Mount Moriah. And it was customary for the sacrifices to be offered at that high place. So personally, I believe that is the place, that high place, where not only Abraham was willing to offer Isaac, but God provided a lamb, a ram in his place. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh. That means the Lord will provide. Golgotha was the place where God provided for himself a lamb for a burnt offering, his only begotten son. And it is only by identifying with the work of Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection, that our sins, whether intentional or unintentional, have been dealt with through the work of Jesus on the cross. Second Peter 3, 14 and 15, Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, we read this once already, but I want to look at it a little closer now, be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blemish, and consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. Be diligent, spudazo in the Greek. It means to use speed, to make an effort to be earnest that we might be found in Christ in peace without spot or blemish. However, true peace cannot come by human effort. It's only through faith in Jesus Christ. Therefore, our diligence is founded upon the work of Jesus his death, burial, and resurrection from the grave. Hebrews 9.14, How much more then shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? 1 John 1.7 says, And the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. Jesus is offering there upon the cross, he offered his life there that we might have peace with God and that our sins might be forgiven. Let's go ahead and stand. Here on Wednesday evenings, I have been using quite often, and we have time for it tonight, the ABCs of Salvation. At family camp, we're going to do five-finger evangelism. This is another form of evangelism. If we kind of get it in our mind when we're talking with others, want to share faith with them, we can say that salvation is as easy as the ABCs. It's like, what do you mean by that? 
Well, let me share with you. The A stands for admit. Admit to God that you are a sinner and ask for his forgiveness. The word of God tells us in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And in 1 John 1.9, if we've already looked at tonight, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We need to admit to God that we are sinners. The B is for believe. Believe in the work that Jesus did upon the cross, his death, burial, resurrection, also his ascension into heaven, and receive that gift of salvation. Romans 5.8 tells us, but God demonstrates. I love that. It's in present tense, not past tense. It's in present tense, but God demonstrates his own love toward us that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. We have to believe in the work that Jesus did upon the cross, and we need to confess, confess our faith, not only in Jesus Christ, but share that faith with others. In Romans 10, verses 9 and 10, it says, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you sh shall be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation Romans 10:13. whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Of course, those who are here, if you have a prayer need, just speak to me after the service and, and we can pray. If you're listening on the radio tonight, watching through social media, through a website, maybe you're going to hear this message at a later time. Please email us at cclv at comcast.net. We'd love to correspond with you. cclv at comcast.net. This coming Sunday, we're going to be looking at, beginning to look at Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. We've been doing the chronological journey through the Bible. And so I'm assuming for the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at the Sermon on the Mount because Matthew takes three chapters to get through it. And Luke deals with it just a little bit, but very significant. So, this coming Sunday, we'll look a little bit at Luke and the Beatitudes. Since I wrote a booklet about the Beatitudes, I have a hard time getting through all eight in one session. So I'm not sure what I'm going to do. I've tried it once at my son's church in Hawaii, and uh, I probably bit off more than I could chew for that message. We got it done. But it was a rush through the Beatitudes. So I'm thinking we might be at the Sermon on the Mount for just a little while. But what a good message to park on for a while. Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, Father, we thank you that you have provided your son, Jesus Christ, as an offering for our sins, whether intentional or unintentional. But we thank you, Father, that you sent your son, Jesus, that you're willing to come and offer your life upon the cross and that now salvation is made available to whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord. They are saved. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that because of your work upon the cross, dealing with our sins there on the cross, that we now have peace with God for those who believe in you in life-saving faith, for he himself is our peace. 
So I pray tonight, Lord, that you would continue to teach us and let us, Lord, experience that peace afresh upon our lives this night. And Lord, if we've committed sin, whether intentional or unintentional, if it's unintentional and once it's discovered, Lord, may it be that we would now as believers not come to you to be saved all over again, but as it says in 1 John 1, 9, simply confess that sin. It's not a simple thing to do, of course, Lord, because you paid a high price for the forgiveness of our sins. But the word telling us if we confess our sins, that you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So cleanse us, Lord. Bring us into fellowship afresh once again. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are our peace. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Pray that God would bless you and keep you, that his face would always shine upon you and give you peace. God bless.